this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. For the last couple of weeks, uh, last five weeks, we've been speaking about uh, the comeback and uh, how God wants us to make a comeback uh, in so many areas of our lives. And this morning I want to share with you uh, the ultimate comeback, uh, which is actually found in that very chapter in which, uh, from which I quoted, John 3 verse 16. In John chapter 3, uh, Jesus talks about the ultimate, John records the ultimate comeback um, that we have to make. And, and it's, it's, it's called being born again. And, and, and when I say those words, being born again or being born anew, or, or, or born of the Spirit, um, the reality is that there, there are probably many ideas and even stereotypes of what that is that come up in people's minds. Uh, the, the, the phrase being born again is a, is a phrase that exists in our pop- popular culture, and all kinds of ideas come up with it and, and what, about what it means. But today we want to look at, and, and many of those ideas are wrong. Many of those ideas aren't accurate and correct. And we want to look at this scripture in John chapter 3 and see what it really means, what Jesus really meant when he, talk about, when he spoke about being born again, being born anew. What is the new birth? But I was sitting there thinking about it um, during the worship or just before the worship, and, and I, I realized this really is the ultimate comeback. This really is the ultimate comeback. You can make many comebacks in your life. You can make a comeback in your marriage, you know, if, 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 if your marriage is struggling. You can make a comeback um, in your personal life if you're struggling with addiction or some other destructive habit. You can make a comeback um, just in terms of, of your, your character by, by turning around, turning away from um, bad character traits and turning towards good character traits. You can make a comeback in your job. You can make a comeback in so many areas of your life. But if you don't make this comeback, it won't matter how many other comebacks you've made in other areas of your life. If at the end of your life you haven't made this ultimate comeback, all the other comebacks will be for nothing. That's how important this comeback is. So, so let's, let's just read about it uh, in John chapter 3. I'm going to read from verse 1. It should be up on the screen. It, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the rule, Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin it was called. <clears throat> Excuse me. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I just, I just want to interrupt myself just for a moment there. <laughs> it, it's like Jesus feeds off what Nicodemus is saying. Nicodemus says, no one can do the miraculous signs unless God is with him. And then Jesus says, hang on, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless <laughs> there's a certain miraculous thing that they experience. Okay? Just want you to note that. Um, 
And Amos 4 says, How can a man, Nicodemus clearly misunderstands Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Because he was obviously an old man. You didn't get onto the Sanhedrin if you were young. You had to be old and you know, respectable and very learned and all that. So how can, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And what's going on there, uh, just to explain it, uh, and I, I explain it on the video as well, Jesus, when he says being born again or being born um, that phrase, it's, it's, it's being born, the Greek word is anothen, and it can mean a new again or from above. And, and, and John is playing you with, with the, the ambiguity. He means, Jesus means born from above, born of the Spirit, and, and Nicodemus understands it as born again, physically. And he's like, that's impossible, you know, surely that's impossible. Um, and then Jesus goes on in verse 5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. What is that born of water and the Spirit? Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Do you not understand these things? So, you know, there, there are many people throughout history who have experienced this. I, I mean, history is, is littered with examples of people whose, whose lives have changed radically, unexpectedly, suddenly, and radically. I mean, one great example, and, 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 and this, you know, with many of these changes, there, there, there isn't any natural explanation why people changed like that. It was like people were going in exactly the opposite direction, and they made a 180 degrees turn and changed. Just, just suddenly, remarkably, unexpectedly, unexplainably apart from this experience of the new birth. I mean, one example is the Apostle Paul. He was this um, very learned, much like Nicodemus. I mean, he, was, he wasn't a member of the Sanhedrin, Paul, but he was involved. I, I think they were grooming him. He was a, a younger man. And I think they were grooming him to be um, involved in the Sanhedrin. Very learned man, uh, you know, making good progress, you know, in Judaism, you know, well on his way to becoming a member of the Jewish ruling council. Um, very religious very passionate and zealous for the law, and he looked upon these new Christians, these Jews who said that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and he didn't, he said, no, these are a bunch of heretics, you know, and he was so zealous for the law and so zealous for his religion, for Judaism, that he persecuted these Christians. He got letters from the Sanhedrin, it says, from the high priest in the Sanhedrin, to go to different cities in the area and go and capture these guys, throw them in prison, men, women, whatever, you know, cast them in prison, even kill them sometimes. He was there when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned to death, giving his consent. So, so he was this fierce, you know, persecutor of the Christian church. And yet, as he was going to Damascus, a nearby city, close to Jerusalem, with letters to go and persecute the Christians there, to go and capture them and throw them in prison, he had an encounter with this Jesus speaking to Nicodemus here and his life turned around and he became probably the fiercest defender of Christianity in the early church 
Like that, in a couple of days. Just boom. Massive change. You cannot explain it naturally. Why would someone who was persecuting the church turn around and become the greatest defender of the church? There's no natural explanation for that sudden, remarkable change. And you can't deny it because, I mean, Europe was evangelized because of Paul. I mean, he was the guy who took the gospel into Europe and planted churches there. And, and the whole of European culture comes to, to a very large extent from the changes that he brought with him when he brought the gospel. Um, you, you get many other guys. I shared uh, a couple of weeks, well, actually a couple of months ago, about a guy called St. Patrick of Ireland. You know, uh, in, in uh, America they celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And he lived in, a, a, you know, a few hundred years after Christ. And as a young man, 16, 17-year-old, he was abducted and sold as a slave in Ireland and worked for, I can't remember how long it was, it six or ten years or something, as a slave in Ireland. And, and there his life changed. And he, experienced, he had this experience. And God spoke to him and, and he ran away and, and got back home. But then ten years later, God called him through a vision or a dream to go back to Ireland. And this guy, in the dream... You know, the Irish, some, some other Irish person is calling him, writing letters to him, and, 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 and he just reads the beginning of the first letter. Please, you know, beloved boy, you know, you were here as a slave, but come and serve us again. Come and dwell amongst us again. And he goes to Ireland. This guy who lived as a slave for many years in Ireland. He goes back to Ireland to the very people who enslaved him, and he ministers to them. And almost the whole of Ireland is turned around. Almost the whole of Ireland is turned around. He starts monasteries and schools and all kinds of stuff all over Ireland, preaches the gospel, and the, the whole of Ireland is, is turned around. Why would someone who was a slave in a country go back to the country and to the very people who enslaved him and go and preach the gospel to them? Nothing explains it except this experience, this radical supernatural experience of born again, being born again. There's another example, a guy called Martin Luther. And he's very much like Nicodemus. I'm, I'm just going to read you a little portion of his own testimony in his own words. He says, I had indeed been captivated by the extraordinary ardor of, uh, for understanding Paul in the epistle of the Romans. But a single word in chapter 1 of Romans stood in my way. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That stood in my way. For I hated this word, the righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all the teachers at that time, I had been taught to understand philosophically regarding the formal or active righteousness, as they call it, with which God is righteous and punishes unrighteousness and unrighteous sinners. Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God and, an uh, and uh, with an extremely disturbed conscience. conscience. Now, you know, if anyone, Luther at other places says, if anyone could be saved by doing the right stuff, by their behavior, by works, then I was that person. I fasted all the time. I prayed for hours on end. I was very meticulous in trying to obey Scripture. And yet all of that attempted obedience didn't clear my conscience. I knew that it wasn't good enough. I was a sinner before God. And I hated God's righteousness because I felt that God's righteousness was the righteousness by which He is perfect and judges me because I'm not perfect. That's what he thought that righteousness was. Now listen to what he says. Um, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that 
um, he, God, was placated by my satisfaction, by everything that I've done, all my good works. I did not love, yes, I hated this righteous God who punishes sinners and secretly, if not not blasphemously, certainly murmured greatly and was angry with God and said, if, as if indeed it is not enough that miserable sinners, eternally lost through original sin, are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, without having God add pain to pain by the gospel and also by the gospel threatening us with his righteousness and wrath. Thus I raged with a fierce and troubled conscience. Nevertheless, I beat persistently upon Paul at this place, Romans 1 verse 17, most ardently desiring to know what Paul wanted. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. Namely, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. So he's quoting the the second part of, of that verse. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is not the righteousness by which God is perfect and punishes people for their imperfection, but the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, you through faith is righteous shall live. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. There are a totally other face of the entire scriptures showed itself to me. So all of a sudden I started to read the Bible differently and I felt I was born again. I'd, I'd rushed into paradise through open gates because I realized that the righteousness of God that's revealed in the gospel is not God's perfect righteousness which causes him to judge imperfect and unrighteous sinners, but God's gift of righteousness by which he through faith gives to those who don't deserve it. And all of a sudden the whole of scripture opened up to me and I realized I don't have to try and win God's favor. I need to be born again and so receive God's favor and so be in right relationship with God. And I was born again. And all of a sudden, I was changed. I just want Mama Joyce to come forward and and quickly. She has a a quick testimony she wants to give about her being born again. So come, Mama Joyce. Just to show you, it still happens today. (laughs) It does happen. Uh, Good morning. You know, I thought now, my son-in-law, maybe he he has forgotten me. So I I said there, I said, okay, Lord, if it is so, thy will be done. (laughs) Now, you know, sometimes children think that the parents will lead them to the Lord. But my daughter led me to the Lord. Rochelle was nine years old and I was going through a tough time. I was so cross with the Lord. I was very cross. My eldest daughter said to me, Mama, you may suck rechmak I thought to myself, what is she saying? But the little one took me by hand and said, Mama, come to me to church. But I hated the hundred club kerk. Because I live opposite the AFM. And, but to please her, I went to church. And then when I walked in there, I felt the warmth, the love. But I was still fighting. And one day, still continuing what Rochelle said, this brother, uh, 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 the pastor said, the Lord breaks you 
in order to use you, as Christine has just said. And, okay, there was an altar call, and I went forward, and this brother said, I must give my life to the Lord. I said, now, how? How do I do that? That is where the teaching comes in. You can't say to the person, give your life to the Lord. I said, show me. He said, you must ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, and then you will be born again. This happened in 1986, my, my brothers and sisters. You young people, don't be discouraged if your parents don't serve the Lord. Your life must show that you have changed so that your parents can follow. I followed, it's now 31 years of age. I'm going for 73, but I feel so, you know, <laughs> because I'm a child of God. I'm born again. I love my Lord, and I'm looking forward to meeting him. You have to be born again. God bless. Amen. Mama Joyce is my mother-in-law. Um, so Jesus says exactly what Mama Joyce was saying now. He says to Nicodemus, don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. So, you know, I just want to talk about a, a few things. Firstly, um, who is this you that must be born again? Who is the you that must be born again? Secondly, um, why must we be born again? Why is it so important to be born again? Thirdly, what does it mean to be born again? What's the nature of, of this being born again? And then how does it happen? So the necessity of the new birth, who, who, who is, for whom is it necessary and why is it necessary? Secondly, the nature of the new birth, what does it mean? What, what is being born again? And then the causes of the new birth. You know, how, can you, how can it happen to you? How can you uh, be born again? Okay, so let's just look at the necessity of the new birth. Um, Jesus presents the new birth as an absolute necessity. He says in, in, in John 3 verse 7, you must be born again. In other words, this is not optional. This is not optional. This is not a, a fringe benefit to Christianity. It's, it's not like, you know, many people think, you know, um, you, know you, 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 can, you can become a Christian, and then when you become really serious, you can be born again. Now you can become a born-again Christian, you know. That's like, you know, um, when you say, okay, I, I, I become a Christian, you know, I, I, I want, uh, you know, uh, you, you order, you know, one, one uh, meal of Christianity, and then if, you, if you're serious about it, you can supersize it, you know, to being born again. No, 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 no. You know, <laughs> being born again is not supersized Christianity. It's normal garden-variety Christianity. If you don't experience this, then you're not a Christian. If you don't experience this, you cannot see or enter the kingdom of God. You're not part of Christianity. This is not sort of a fringe extra to Christianity. This is the very beating heart of Christianity. This is what it's all about. If this doesn't happen to you, you haven't experienced Christianity at all. So let, let's see why is it necessary. Because Jesus says you cannot see or even enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. This is the entrance. This is the doorway into Christianity. This is how you become a Christian. This is how you enter the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where God rules as king. The kingdom of God is, you, you've entered the kingdom of God if you've submitted to God's rule and reign and, and received his salvation. A kingdom of God is, is, is also used as a, a, a sort of a, a synonym for heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're not going to go to heaven unless you're born again. 
It doesn't matter how many good things you do. It doesn't matter how often you come to church. <clears throat> if you don't experience this, you cannot see your enter the kingdom of God. This is the very beginning, and that's why it's called being born again. Birth is a beginning. So, you know, it, it's, it's necessary. Jesus says twice in verse 3 and 5, unless you are born again, you cannot enter or see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Let, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Your, your eternal destiny depends on it. How you're going to spend eternity and where you're going to spend eternity depends on whether this has happened to you. Now, eternity is a long time. Mama Joyce is 73 years old. You know, that's already a good innings. And hopefully she has a couple of more good years in her. But, I mean, the Bible tells us, you know, if God gives us anything more than 70 years, you know, maybe 100 years if, we, if we're very uh, lucky, that's a lot. But even 100 years is very little compared to eternity. It's minute. It's minute. Eternity is such a long time, it's very hard for us to even be able to visualize it. It's a time that will never end. It's so long that if you take a million lifetimes and string them together, it won't even be the beginning of eternity. It's, it's, it's so long that, that it, it, it makes our time here on earth look just like a whiff, a puff in the wind. And all of that, all of that eternity for us depends on us experiencing this, the new birth, being born again. So for whom is it necessary? When Jesus, when, when Jesus says, you must, don't be surprised when I say to you, you, you must be born again. Who's the you? Who's the you? I mean, we have these stereotypes about being born again, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I've noticed a trend um, nowadays with the internet, you know, information spreads quickly. So testimonies and stuff spread quickly as well. People can do better research because just more information available. So much so that People who are doing research, sociologists, are starting to acknowledge. Even sociologists who are not Christians, secular sociologists, you know, atheistic sociologists, are saying, well, it seems like this born-again thing, you know, works for people who need to be rehabilitated. You know, when, when we look at prison rehabilitation, when we look at people who need rehabilitation from drugs, these faith-based programs seem to be the best programs. They get the best results. In fact, they seem to be the only ones who get lasting results <laughs> you know I, I mean in, in prisons worldwide this is not just uh, something in South Africa or in America or somewhere worldwide the tendency is that faith based and specifically Christian based programs have by far the best results so, so many inmates they get into prison but they just learn in prison how to be better criminals because they spend time with other criminals often more hardened than themselves but the ones who become Christians, who's, who get born again, they actually seem to rehabilitate. Where the others go out and commit more crimes and become repeat offenders and just go back to prison, these guys who get so-called born again, they actually stay clean and they actually change. And, 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 and you know, even people who are not Christians, you know, who are doing the research are saying, this born again thing, thing seems to work for them. Same with, same with um, you know, rehabilitation from substance abuse. Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, they're pretty much faith-based. 
right? You go to an AA meeting and you'll hear most of the people there have become Christians. Because they, and, and, and you've asked them, you know, why? They'll say, well, <laughs> I tried this by myself a couple of times. Every time I tried it by myself, I relapsed. But I've been clean for 10, 15 years now, ever since I got born again. Ever since God came into my life and did for me what I couldn't do for myself. <clears throat> and, and, and people look at that and they say, well, you know, for those guys who are down and out, this thing really seems to work. They need that. They need to be born again. They need to be rehabilitated. They need that change in life. They need that deep cathartic experience. But you know what this scripture tells us? The scripture tells us it's not just them that needs it. Because here you have a guy, Nicodemus, I mean, he's not down and out by any stretch of the imagination. He's not down and out. I mean, you, you read the scripture, it says, you know, his name is Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He's a, um, what does it mean that he was a Pharisee? Well, it means a few things. Firstly, he was very moral. I mean, the Pharisees were like the moralists of the gospel of the time of Jesus. I mean, they took the, the law more seriously than anyone else. There was no one who took the law as seriously as these Pharisees. They counted all the laws. They said 613 in individual laws, and we're going to obey all of them. We're going to memorize them and obey them. You don't get someone more moral. I mean, this guy is like the top Pharisee. You know, he's the Israel's teacher. You, you don't get anyone more moral than him. So it's not like, oh, you know, uh, being born again is for those immoral people. No, here you have the ultimate moral person. The ultimate Pharisee. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. So being born again is not just getting your morality sorted out. It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. Oh, you know, it's for irreligious people. Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee. They were seriously religious. They invented synagogue. Literally. <laughs> they did. They preached in the synagogue. This is one of the most religious people in Israel. And Jesus says your religion is not good enough. So being born again is not like getting more religion. Getting born again is not getting a new religion. It's getting a new life. So many people think, oh, you know, maybe being born again is for those down and out irreligious people. But here you have a religious person. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. And, and let me just say this as well. And I, because I think in our context in South Africa, where... You know, according to the last census, you have more than 70% of people who call themselves Christians in South Africa. This is important to say. I mean, at one stage, Jesus says you must be born of water and the Spirit. And many people say that being born of water is water baptism. And many denominations say if you were christened as a baby, you know, water was sprinkled on your forehead as a baby, or you baptized as a believer, that baptism, that sprinkling, that christening makes you a Christian. That's why it's called christening, because it makes you a Christian. You know, so many um, denominations taking their cue sort of from the Roman Catholic Church say, but, but if you're christened, that is regeneration. That is being born again. When, you were, when that water was sprinkled on your forehead, that sacrament, that religious sacrament of sprinkling the water on your forehead or, you know, as a, uh, you know being you know, immersed in water, whatever it is, that makes you born again. And, and I don't want to go into all the details of why that cannot be, but let me just mention one thing. I mean, this is before the cross. This is, Jesus is saying this at the beginning of his ministry, before his crucifixion, before Christianity even existed. This is still under the old covenant. Before people were baptized in Jesus' name. 
They were only baptized in Jesus' name after his death on the cross. Christian baptism didn't even exist yet. And, and here Jesus says you must be born of water and the Spirit. So this water, being born of water, doesn't refer to Christian baptism. It doesn't refer to water baptism at all. I'm, I'm not going to go into the detail because it's going to take too long. But, but what it refers to is Ezekiel 36 and 37. You can go and read it. Ezekiel 36, verse 25 to 27. Jesus, uh, God says, um, very much in line with that scripture in, in, in Jeremiah 31 that, that uh, Christine was referring to. I'm going to bring you back from captivity. How am I going to do it? I'm going to sprinkle you with clean water and, and clean, cleanse you. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take out the heart, a heart transplant. Take out the heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to put my spirit in you. So sprinkle you with water, put my spirit in you. Born of water and the spirit. Can you see what, it, what it's referring to? And then in the next chapter, what we sang about, you know, um, all the earth will shout your praise, and then uh, these, the dry bones that will rise. It's your breath in our lungs. In the next chapter, it's that the valley of dry bones. And then God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the dry bones. And the breath of God comes into them, and they rise up a mighty army, alive with God's breath, God's spirit inside of them. That's what it's referring to. So the water is just another metaphor of, of the Spirit. That's what cleanses. God cleanses us with that water. And God renews us with His Spirit. That's what it's referring to. It's a supernatural experience. I like that. So, but, um, so, so the water, born of water, doesn't refer to a religious experience of baptism or christening. Religious experiences like that cannot save you. And why this is important is I meet so many religious South Africans who have been born into a Christian family, who were christened as children, and say, well, I'm already born again. I was christened as a baby. That's when I got born of water. No, no, that's a misunderstanding. You were not born of water. And many of those people think, well, now I can live wherever I want to because I'm, I've got my ticket to heaven. You know, I'm okay. I'm going to come at the pearly gates and I'm going to present... You know, St. Paul, with my ticket to heaven, because I was christened, I was sprinkled with water. And I don't want, if that's you, I don't want you to get a rude awakening when you get to the pearly gates and hear, no, sorry, you misinterpreted that scripture. Born of water has nothing to do with water baptism. A religious ritual cannot save you. It's a supernatural experience of receiving God's Spirit. Okay, I mean... You can't say, but it's for the down and out, you know, the people who are failures, the people who are washouts. Because here Nicodemus is very successful. He's a leader of the Jewish ruling council. He's arrived. He's extremely successful. So it's not just for down and outs who are unsuccessful. It's even for, for highly successful people like Nicodemus. You can't say, oh, it's for people who are uneducated, who don't know any better, you know. Nicodemus is learned. I mean, he's the teacher of Israel. This is one of the most learned men in Israel. And Jesus says to him, you need to be born again. And unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So in other words, what am I trying to say? This is not just for down and outs. This is also for up and outs. Right? You can be down and out, and you can be up and out. Everything can be going wrong in your life, and you can be lost. And everything can be going right in your life in the natural, and you can still be lost, as lost. Being born again is for everyone. It's for the down and outs and the up and outs. And that's why when Jesus says, I say to you, and he's speaking to Nicodemus, so it's singular. And in, in, in the Greek, there's a difference between you singular and you plural. Then he says, you must be born again. And he changes the you to plural. You plural must be born again. In other words, y'all, like the Texans say. Y'all need to be born again. 
All of you need to be born again. There's no one who doesn't need to be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. But also, I mean, it's not just good enough to know about Jesus, like Nicodemus does. He comes to Jesus and he recognizes Jesus as a teacher. We know that you are a teacher. Come from God. We know that you are a teacher. And there are so many people nowadays who walk around and say, yes, you know, Jesus was a good teacher. I don't believe he was God. And, I, uh, you know, I don't believe he was, you know, he was like Muhammad or any other, you know, religious leader, you know. He was a good teacher, good moral teacher. Well, Nicodemus believed that as well. And Jesus says, not good enough. <laughs> Just believing I'm a teacher and acknowledging me as a teacher is not going to get you into the kingdom of God. Not even believing that I'm a teacher come from God. Because he says, we know that you're a teacher come from God. Even recognizing that, that Jesus is a teacher come from God. It's not good enough. You know, I was just experiencing Jesus as teacher and trying to live out what he taught. It's not going to get you to heaven. Unless you also experience what Jesus is talking about here and teaching about here of being born again. He even goes on to say, we know that your teacher come from God. Why? Because no one can do these miraculous signs you are doing unless God is with him. So even seeing the supernatural in Jesus is not good enough to get you to heaven. Right? And there are so many people who do that. They see miracles, and the Gospel of John is full of it. The world is full of it. They see miracles, but it doesn't change their lives. Even acknowledging the miraculous in Jesus is not good enough to get you into the kingdom. You need to experience the miraculous in yourself by being born again. By being born again. Okay. So it's necessary for all of us to be born again. For everyone to be born again. But what is the nature of this born again experience? Firstly, it's, it's spiritual, it's not physical. I mean, we see that, you know, I mentioned the, the, the play of words on, on, on the ambiguity of, of anothen. Jesus says you must be born anothen. And then Nicodemus is like, you mean I must be born again physically? That, that's impossible. I'm an old man. How am I going to get back into my mother's womb? This is just a scary teaching. And Jesus said, no, no, no. You misunderstand. Not physical birth. It's not physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. You must be born of water and the Spirit. It's a spiritual birth. Now, for, for many of us as modern people, that doesn't even make sense. Because as modern people, we, we've been conditioned to become secular. I think we, us in Africa have a little bit less of a problem with it because we're more aware of the spiritual realm than your, your typi typical Western you know, secularist. But, but I, I mean, we were, we're moving in the same direction as the West. Where the West will say, yeah, Human beings have a body. You can feel that, see that. That's easy. And human beings have a soul, you know, a mind, will, emotions. But that's it. There's nothing more to it. But the Bible says, we have, yes, we have a body, you have a soul, but you also have a spirit. You have a spirit. And in other words, whereas secular Western, you know, enlightenment, humanistic teaching will say, you, you know, man is two-part. You know, you have a body and a soul. The Bible says body, soul, and spirit. And, and here's, here's the thing, you know, so that's why secularism doesn't save people. That's why humanism and, and secularism and atheism and agnosticism doesn't change people's life for the good. Like we're seeing Paul's life being changed, or Martin Luther's life being changed, or Mama Joyce's life being changed. You don't hear stories like that, or, I became an atheist and... All of a sudden, you know, my life was transformed. <laughs> you know, yeah. Or uh, when I became an agnostic, you know, all of a sudden. You, you don't hear testimonies like, why? Because they're trying to present a two-dimensional solution to a three-dimensional problem. 
We live in a three-dimensional world. It's not only a physical world and a psychological world. There's a spiritual realm which is real. And, and not only that, but we ourselves have a third dimension, a spiritual dimension. And a lot of our problems are rooted in that spiritual dimension. And unless you change that, the rest is not going to change, not sustainably. I mean, you can change it for a while on the surface, but you always go back. In other words, what I'm trying to say is the world's two-dimensional solution is simplistic. It's reductionistic. It's not good enough. It's, you know, the, the pro- our problems are more complex, and the Bible has respect for the complexity of human nature and therefore gives solutions that are adequate. So many people live like two-dimensional beings, you know, stick drawings in a three-dimensional world. Right? Effectively, that's how many of us live because we don't acknowledge the, the, the third realm, the realm of the Spirit. And, 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 and Jesus says that this born-again thing is in this realm of the Spirit, being born of the Spirit, and our spirit being made alive. That's why he says, being, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And all of a sudden you wake up to a whole new realm that you never knew existed before. It's an experience of, of new life. Now, when, when Jesus says, you know, you must be born again, you must be born of water and the Spirit, you, you must experience that awakening to new life. You can imagine Nicodemus saying, but hang on, you know, I'm breathing, I'm alive. What, what do you mean? I, I have life. What, what do you mean I need new life? And there are so many people walking around like that, but I am alive. Yes, you are physically alive. But there's another level of life. See, Jesus had a category for what I call the living dead. And that's nothing to do with horror stories. <laughs> in, just mention two scriptures just to show you this. In, in Luke 9 verse 60, Jesus says, this one guy says, you know, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me first go and bury my father. And then Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. Listen to what Jesus says. Let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, there are the dead who are being buried, who are also physically dead, and then there are the dead who are doing the burying, who are physically alive. In other words, the living dead. In other words, there are a lot of people, according to Jesus, walking around on this earth who are living dead. They're breathing physically, but they're spiritually dead. Another example is later on in, in Luke's gospel, in, in, in the famous parable of the, the lost son, the, the prodigal son. What does he say at the end? What does the father say at the end uh, to the older brother when he's pleading with him to come into the house? He says, your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and he's found. In other words, being lost is being f- spiritually dead. So you can be physically alive but spiritually dead in, in need, like Nicodemus, of a spiritual resurrection, a spiritual new birth to experience spiritual new life. It's an experience not only of new life, but of new sight. It says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I was, I was speaking to, to um, Peter um, and them, and they were showing me their beautiful little son, Ross Wilson, who had been born in the last uh, week or so, two weeks, last two weeks or so. And, um, you know, think about a natural birth. That's why Jesus uses this metaphor of birth. When the baby is in the mother's womb, he doesn't see anything. And likewise, until you are born again, the spiritual realm I'm talking about, you don't even see it. You're not aware of it. It's there, but you don't see it. 
You can only see the kingdom of God. You can only see the spiritual realm when you're born spiritually, when you're born of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, a whole new life opens up to you. Who of you have experienced that? Isn't it amazing when, when you got born again, all of a sudden it's like a whole new world opened up to you. There's a whole new dimension of reality that you were blissfully unaware of that all of a sudden opens up to you and it's like, wow, I didn't know this even existed. Right? It's also an experience of new hearing, this new birth. Not only of new life, of new, of new sight, but new hearing. It says, the, the wind blows where it pleases, and um, you don't know where it comes from, where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Speaking about the, the voice, it speaks about the, the voice of the Spirit. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The voice of the Spirit, all of a sudden you start to hear, and that's referring back to those valley of dry bones, you know, the noise of the Spirit coming into your life. And all of a sudden, when you're born, you hear it. I remember when, when um, my kids were, were still in, in, in Rochelle's womb, I would sing to them, and especially, you know, that, that little song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And it's amazing, you know, when, when, when the baby's born, you know, they, they usually cry if they're healthy, praise God. So they cry and so on, you know, and it's this traumatic experience, and like, wah, 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 the new world is cold, it's like, what's going on? And then I'd start singing to them, and they'd like quiet down. Because the voice that they heard, and, and apparently men's voices, because they, the frequency is lower, it carries very well through the water of you know, the amniotic fluid and, and the womb. So they, they, they hear the dad's voice very clearly, you know, this deep voice. And all of a sudden, this voice that was muffled, and they heard through this wall of the womb and of the amniotic fluid, all of a sudden they hear that voice clearly. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And it's amazing how they just calm down. It's like listening. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? One of the great joys of, of birth, you know, to see that. So what causes the new birth? I just want to focus in on this, this birth metaphor um, for a while. Firstly, Jesus does, uses the, the metaphor of being born to show you that this is a brand new beginning. In other words, being born again is not like, Okay, I've, I've achieved certain things in my life. I've accomplished certain things in my life. Now I'm going to build on that foundation that I already have with this new birth experience. No. All of that that you've accomplished, in, in, in the light of eternity, that doesn't benefit you. It, 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 you cannot receive credit or merit from God based on what you've accomplished and done. You have to start, everyone, whether you've been a failure or success, you start at exactly the same place. A new birth, a brand new beginning that doesn't build on something you've accomplished in the past, but that is a whole new start. And that's why, in general, people who have been down and out have been much quicker to respond to this good news that you can be born again than people who have been up and out. Because people have been down and out say, well, I've got nothing to offer in any case. I've got nothing to bring to the table. I've got no, nothing to negotiate with. I, 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 I'm down and out. I've, I've, I need God to take stuff away from me. You know, it's not like I've, I bring anything to offer. But people are up and out thinking, oh, I at least want to bring something to the table. You know, I, at least I've accomplished this. And, and you, that having to let go of that actually makes it more difficult for people who are up and out, like Nicodemus, to actually be born again. Because it's a brand new beginning. And <clears throat> this, is, this next point I'm going to make is very important. When a baby gets born, the baby pretty much does 
nothing. The baby doesn't decide to get born. The baby doesn't decide when it gets born. The baby doesn't push. The baby doesn't pull. The baby doesn't crawl. The baby does nothing. The baby comes into the world based on what someone else has done for them. The baby comes into the world based on the mother's labor. Her hard work, and believe me, it's hard work. It's hard work to push a baby into this world. It's labor. There's a, a reason it's called labor. <laughs> it's work. <laughs> it, the baby comes into the world through the mother's pain. The mother suffers so that this baby can experience life. The mother's blood flows. And, and whether you're doing natural birth or cesarean, there's blood that flows. But it's the mother's blood, not the baby's blood. It's the mother's brokenness and pain that allows the baby to come into the world. And in that sense, this birth metaphor is very appropriate. Because even as spiritual babies, we don't come into the spiritual world. We're not born spiritually based on our work, our labor, our pain, our suffering, our blood. It's someone else's that causes us to be born. It's Jesus's. And um, I want to, can the ushers so long just hand out the elements of the communion um, while I'm, I'm reading these last few scriptures. Jesus says in, and you can maybe just make a note of it, or I think it's up there on the screen, in John 16 verse 21. <clears throat> listen to what Jesus says. He says, a woman, this is the same gospel of John that, that we read uh, of, out of in chapter 3. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because her, of, of her joy that a child is born into the world. The NIV translation actually obscures something there that's very important. Jesus says, you know, a woman, you know, she's in pain. A woman giving birth is in pain because her, it says in the NIV, her time has come. But literally in the Greek it says her hour has come. And you can go and look in the Gospel of John. Whenever the word hour is used, or Jesus uses the word hour, he uses it as a, as a reference to his hour of crucifixion, the hour of his death, the hour of his pain. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, he's referring subtly but very powerfully to the cross, which is his hour, and metaphorically equating it with a birth. That's where I experience pain, like a woman experienced the birth of the, the pain of childbirth, so that you can be born. That's where I pay the price. That's where my pain, my blood, my suffering, my labor allows you to experience the new birth. <clears throat> and that is what communion is about. The broken bread represents Jesus' body which is broken for us. The pain he experienced, just like a woman experiences the pain of childbirth. And the cup represents Jesus' blood which was shed for us so that we can experience the new birth.
And that is why Jesus could give us His Spirit to come and live inside of us, to come and change our hearts, to come and cleanse us like being sprinkled with water, come and re-transform us from the inside out to be like Him because He already paid the price for us on the cross so that we can be born into this world, into this world spiritually. So I, I just want to want you to just take a moment, just close your eyes. <clears throat> and just think about what Jesus did for, for you, how he suffered so that you can be born spiritually. And I want to ask you, don't, don't throw that away, don't throw that out. Don't ignore that. Such a great sacrifice deserves to be taken seriously. You can't ignore it. You can't throw it away. If you're still, you know, sort of checking out this Christianity thing and thinking, you know, is this for me? I want to say to you, it is for you. Just like it was for Nicodemus. Just like it is for someone who's down and out or someone who's up and out. It's for everyone. You need to experience this. This is for you. And Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to pay the price so that you could experience this new birth. And if you're a Christian already, I want you to think about how much it cost Jesus so that you can experience this. And think about this. A baby. Someone can only truly resemble me fully if they're born of me, of my seed. You're trying in vain to resemble God unless you're born of God. And so many people, they do religion by trying to resemble God on the outside when actually on the inside there's no change. They've never been born of God and therefore they cannot resemble God. I mean, you, you can say, okay, I have an apple tree, but next year I want, next season I want it to bear peaches. Good luck with that. Apple trees don't bear peaches. You can give it more water. You can say, but hang on, I'm going to give it a lot more water. I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to really take good care of it. It'll just give you better apples. Oh, but I'm going to prune it. Now I'm going to cut it away. It's still going to give you apples. The tree needs to fundamentally change if you want it to give, give peaches. And likewise, you need to fundamentally change if you want to change your fruit. If you want to resemble God, you need to be born of God. But it's a progressive dear Christian, it's a progressive resemblance. It's not like you get born again and immediately you perfectly resemble God. It doesn't work that way. Just like a baby grows into more and more resembling their parents, so we as spiritual babies grow into more and more resembling our spiritual parent, who is God. Let that encourage you, if you've been born again, that there's a progressive resemblance that you can walk in. Not immediate resemblance, but a progressive resemblance. I remember when Kirsten was born, she looked Chinese. <laughs> she had this straight black hair and this, you know, I mean, you're, obviously the baby's face is a bit swollen, you know, from the whole birth process. And she had this, she really looked Chinese. If I showed you a photo now, you would think, hang on, you know, are you sure your wife was faithful to you, you know, <laughs> that she didn't have some other China? Because she looks a lot more like me now <clears throat> because she really is my child. But she, she seriously looked Chinese. She looked oriental. You know, she had a, obviously has a bit of a darker skin than me as well. But she grew in a resemblance of me. 
And so we grow in our resemblance of God if we have been born again. But if you're not born of God, you will never grow to resemble God. I just want you to close your eyes as you're sitting there for a moment. If, if you've been saying, I, I need change in my life, I need a comeback, but you've never experienced this comeback of being born again, of being born of God, this ultimate comeback. Remember what I said in the beginning. If by the end of your life you haven't experienced this comeback, this ultimate comeback of being born again, it won't matter what other comebacks you have experienced. Now's your opportunity to respond. And the way that you respond is in faith. I just want to read you from John chapter 1. Because John chapter 3 is not the only place where John speaks about being born of God. Chapter, 11, uh, chapter 1 verse 11 says, He came to that which was His own, and His own did not receive Him, but to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. And the way you experience this is by faith. Thank you for hearing the word of the Lord. And I just want to encourage you, we as Christians, we always underestimate the power of this new birth in our lives. This is what enables us to become more like Jesus. You're becoming more like Jesus. If you've really been born again, you're becoming more like Jesus. You're resembling Him more and more. Resembling the family of God is inevitable. Because the change, the fundamental change has already happened on the inside. Be encouraged. I know many of you are sitting, standing there and saying, but I'm, you don't know the sins I'm struggling with. I don't care the sins you're struggling with. If you're really born again, the same John who wrote this gospel wrote in, writes in one of the letters, 1 John 5, I think it's verse 4, he says, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is our victory over the world, even our faith. See, it's by faith, by believing what God has already done inside of you that you overcome the world. It's not by trying harder, but believing, really believing the power of what God has already done inside of you. That'll allow you to grow in your resemblance and overcome the world. Grow in your resemblance of God.